Welcome to the Healthy Body, Healthy Mind podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kinghorn, co-founder and CEO of HBHM. We're a carbon neutral wellness brand and we're focused on the well-being of our customers and the planet. We produce a range of products designed to support a healthy lifestyle. This podcast is for our community. We'll have a range of experts in the health, fitness and wellness space designed to help you all improve many aspects of your life. For listening to this podcast, you can get 15% off our products at hbhm.com by using the code hbhmpod at checkout. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Healthy Body, Healthy Mind podcast. And this week we have cyclist Josh Quigley on the show. So Josh has undertaken some incredible challenges over his cycling career, including cycling around the world, Land's End to John O'Groats, cycling around Scotland and Italy. And he also broke the record for cycling the North Coast 500, plus many more, which I'm sure we'll dive into on this podcast. He's also just a, a few weeks on from his most recent world record attempt, which was to break the record for the most mi- miles cycled in a seven-day period, which unfortunately this time stopped due to injury. Um, he has a great story, which has been intertwined with some incredible challenges, um, but he keeps picking himself back up and going again. So welcome to the Healthy Body, Healthy Mind podcast, Josh. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me. I'm doing okay. Thank you. Good. And how's the how's the body? How's the injury post your challenge? Not good. Um, <laughs> I've been basically injured for the last four weeks, which has been it's been very frustrating. I can't lie. You know, I, I love riding my bike. I love training. I love pushing myself. And when I've not got that outlet, I do I do really struggle and don't really enjoy life largely. I'm just wanting to be out there doing what I do. So it's been it's been tough, but um, just doing as much as I can at the moment. I've got a lot of physio work that I'm doing, a lot of gym work, a lot of core stuff, stretching. So I'm just doing literally everything that I can possibly do to get back on the bike as soon as possible. But it's not been easy and it's been a pretty slow process. Yeah. And what actually is the injury? I don't really know too much about the actual injury. It's all a bit technical for me. My physio would probably know more yeah. about that. But it's it's basically something to do with my patella, I think, which is on your kneecap. Okay. And it something to do with the patella was it was like inflamed or a bit of tendonitis or something like that. Basically, in a nutshell, my knees have been injured um, on the on the world record attempt, the seven day record that we tried to do in April. And I so I'm just getting a bit of pain in my knees, which is kind of stopping me cycling. But I had a good session yesterday, done just under two hours, and was that's the most I've done since we had to stop on the record attempt. So. Things should be getting a wee bit better now. And I think that this week I'm planning doing maybe about 150 miles over three sessions. So I'm hoping that goes well. And it should maybe be only be another maybe two or three weeks until I can get back into full training again and start thinking about the next record attempt. Yeah, nice. So you're hopefully, hopefully on your way to recovery then. So before we obviously dive back to some of the, you know, the most recent challenges. So the, the one you did just uh, do in, in April, so that was the seven day world record so that was the most amount of miles and you were actually quite going on track weren't you you were you were going on quite well aye so the, so the most recent record attempt that i was going for was the the seven day cycling record which is essentially the greatest distance cycled in a week so how many miles can you ride in seven days 
the current record's held by uh, an Australian cyclist called Jack Thompson. He done 2,177 miles, which works out at around about 311 miles per day. So that was the that was the record that we're trying to beat. And our target was to do 320 miles a day. So that's what we were aiming to do. And we went up to Aberdeen to do it. We'd found a route up there. Um, you'll know that area very well, obviously. I'm sure you, that's where all your runs and stuff are. But we found a good route up there. It was relatively flat because we had to keep it in Scotland because because of the restrictions at the time, we couldn't go elsewhere. And aye, we were doing really well. You know, the first after the first three or four days, we'd done an average of about 314 or 315 miles a day. So we're, we're up in the record. And then I had the issues with my knee on the fourth day and we had to stop on the fifth day. So aye, it was just really frustrating because I felt that I always felt going into it you know, psychologically, it was like, right, let's just get the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday out of the way. Once those four, four, first four days are done, you're heading into the weekend, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, there's going to be a lot of momentum, a lot of people coming out to support you. Yeah. It's going to feel almost like a celebration, those three final three days. That's that's the way I've seen it in my mind. And th- I definitely felt that as well. Like once I crossed, I think it was at some point in the Thursday, I crossed the thousand mile mark and then I crossed the 50% mark, we were like halfway and then at one point we got to the point where it was just a thousand miles to go to break the record. I just I really felt the energy change, and they were just I felt my spirits were like so much better. I could feel it for the people that were coming out in the route and supporting me. I think everybody's starting to feel like right, he's he's going to do this, like he's on track, you know. Just get 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 into Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and that's it. So, I it was just so frustrating to have to stop because we were doing so well, and uh, it's it's painful for me even now almost five weeks later to talk about it because it was just we were doing so well but you know I'll get it the next time we're definitely going to do it again at some point this year and that's what I'm working towards at the moment but uh, it was just unfortunate what happened. Yeah, you mentioned the support there going by your social media it looked like you had a good uh, army of supporters coming out on the route was that good to keep you going as well? Oh it was absolutely incredible like I was just so overwhelmed by the amount of people up in in D side that came out to support us, our route was kind of started in just in the outskirts of Peter Cooter, went through Bankery, a Boyne, and Ballater. No, no Ballater. No, no, it's, I is Ballater. I get confused with Ballater and Braemar. Yeah, it, it would be Ballater, Ballater, Crathy, and then back. So that was the sort of area that we were in. And I, there were just so many people coming because with, with a live tracker, so people could see where I was in the map at any time. So there were so many people coming out to support and cheer and wave. And it was just, uh, it was amazing. There was even people along the route that, you know, I was doing like four laps of that route each day or like eight, eight going both ways, eight times. There was a few people, like a handful of individuals and families that were literally coming out every single time I passed their house. Like that's gone eight times a day. Yeah. So the support was just amazing. It just, I think being on the same route every day could potentially have been quite soul destroying. But it actually wasn't as bad as it sounds. And I think that was just due to the fact that there was so much support in the route. And that yeah. that really, it really gave me a boost. That I was, uh, it was just it was so amazing. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'm sure you'll, I'm sure you'll be back to take it, take that record soon enough. So, um, but I, I was looking, the, one of the most phenomenal things about that was, was it not just only three months after a quite a big crash you had in Dubai? Aye, so in, in January, I was out in Dubai just doing some winter training because we had such a bad winter here. The weather was brutal and it was really snow, a lot of snow and ice. So I was out in Dubai just doing some training out there. 
and had quite a serious crash on one of the mountains out there. It's, it's the place called Jebel Jays. It's like the highest mountain in the UAE. Climbed up that. It takes like a couple hours to get up. And then on the descent coming down, it was quite windy up there. And, you know, these bikes are just so light, especially with the wheels as well. And I don't know what happened, but I just a gusty wind just caught my front wheel as I was coming down this side of this mountain at about 40 mile an hour and came off, hit the ground and broke my arm, shoulder, collarbone, fractured pelvis, spine, pubic bone, and broke four ribs as well. So I it was a pretty heavy accident and I a lot of broken bones, a lot of fractures. And then I that was just three months after that that I was recovered back in the bike and we went for that world record attempt. So it was a pretty rapid recovery, which is probably why this injury that I've got at the moment, my knee is so frustrating because yeah. I've been through two big accidents in the last 18 months and recovered for both of them in like incredible time, like done it so fast. And I think I kind of built it into my, my identity essentially that I was a guy that recovers for injuries really fast. And, you know, there's no injuries going to stop me. And, like I had a big crash in America at the end of 2019 as well. I got hit by a car at 70 mile an hour and I was back on the bike like two or three weeks after that indoors, nine weeks later back on the road. So like I had it in, I think I'd built it into my mind that, you know, I just recover from injuries fast. So I think that's one of the reasons why I've struggled a wee bit mentally in the last month for this knee injury because, you know, I'm almost five weeks off the bike with a knee injury and I'm like, what's going on here? Like I, I've had like... 20 broken bones I've recovered from like weeks and I'm back in the bike and now I've got this tiny wee issue with my knee that's still holding me back so aye, it's been psychologically tough but aye, I, that to, to do that just three months after the crash in Dubai that that was why I think I was so disappointed with, with having to stop with any injury because I just knew how good a story it would have been like to go and break that world record just three months after that crash would have been such an amazing comeback story and I kind of felt like I was robbed of that which was just a shame, but hey ho, these things happen, you know, we'll get it the next time and I just got yeah. to keep going, I suppose. Exactly. And you meant, you mentioned the, you know, the psychological aspect there. So is, is cycling your outlet for that? Like I, for me, you know, I've mentioned in this podcast before, for me, it's running, you know, running is my, you know, getting out there and um, helps me mentally. So is that like, is that what your cycling is for you? I definitely, I, I just, See, when I don't train, I just don't feel myself, really. Like, I, I really just, I just always feel my mood's just a lot lower. I think as well, something that's probably been an issue for me in the last couple of years as well, is I think that sometimes, like, there's almost like an identity thing as well, is that see, when you see yourself as an athlete, and you're like, right, I'm an athlete, or I'm a cyclist, and this is what I do in my life. When you're injured as well, it's like you start to doubt all of that, and it's like, yeah. you see yourself as an athlete, and you're out on the bike and you're smashing like 20, 30 hour weeks and you're doing world records and you're doing all these big, amazing things. It's great. And you know, life's fantastic. But when you're injured, you're on the couch and you're not training. It's like, you're sitting there thinking like, who the fuck am I like right now? Like it's just, it is, it's a psychological and I think it's an identity thing. And I've definitely, for me in the last few years, like cycling has been my outlet. It has been the thing that's helped me mentally. Like I originally got into cycling a few years ago because I was mentally in a really shitty place you know I was really depressed suicidal you know I'd had a failed suicide attempt I was drinking a lot and I didn't want to do that anymore like I know I need to, I recognize I need to stop drinking and so it just kind of went hand in hand with cycling because it's the sort of thing that once you get any exercise or sport or running or whatever it might be you tend to just start living a wee bit of health or lifestyle anyway 
And so for me, getting into cycling and getting into being on the bike every weekend, it didn't make sense to want to go out to the pub on a Friday night because I was up on the Saturday morning to go out and do 100 miles or whatever it would be. So cycling is definitely my outlet. And I, when I don't have it, I do find life a lot harder. I just do. Yeah. So how? So you, you originally, so it was only a few years ago you actually got into cycling or is it something that went back further? No, it was it was 2016 when I first, originally got into cycling it was 2015 was like the the year of hell for me like I just went through a really tough time I was so depressed had the failed suicide attempt and I thought right I need to do something about this I'd been at an event in Edinburgh where Sir Chris Hoy was giving a talk I was just there for a, I was I was there for my business I had at the time wasn't there with any interest in cycling or no disrespect to Sir Chris but I never really had any interest in, and I wasn't there for him essentially if that makes sense and I was just so inspired by his talk that day. And I just thought, I'm going to go and cycle around the world. That was just the crazy goal that I set myself. And that started a crazy journey for me. I went and tried to cycle around the world in 2016. I never done it the first time. Like I spent about a year, cycled like 10,000 miles. But it changed my life and it saved my life, essentially, because you know I went through the, the guy that started that cycle, you know, really overweight, out of shape, depressed, hating life. A year on the road, a year in the bike, over 10,000 miles, and I came back, you know, fit, happy, healthy, confident, and just loving life. Yeah. And I kind of just left cycling for a bit. You know, I, I kept getting back in the bike and had another few attempts at it, but I largely kind of just walked away and I had about almost a year and a half where I just never looked at a bike and I just kind of left it behind. I just thought it was a part of my story, essentially. And I just, it kind of served its need, got my life back and tried, and I'm just going to go back to my life. But there was something about the bike that I just couldn't ever seem to walk away from it. I just kept going back to it. And so a couple of years ago, at the start of 2019, after my dad had passed away at the end of 2018, and I'd found that tough. And anytime something went wrong in my life, that was when I used to get back in the bike. So I thought, right, I'm going to get back in the bike. I'm going to try and cycle around the world again. And I had another couple of attempts, never really done it. I got to the point where I'd had like six attempts around the world. And I thought, right, this is like your crossroads moment. You're going to have to just either walk away for this forever or go and cycle around the world as i just decided i'm going to go and do it this time and what though i'm going to do this time is i'm not going to stop until i finish it i just made a commitment to the challenge and that was you know i've had a few pivotal turning points in my life but that was like arguably one of the most important because when i set myself that commitment to cycle around the world that was the thing that took me from the guy that was just like a bit lost and a bit depressed and riding around europe on a bike to the athlete that I am today and the guy that's capable of breaking world records because the consistency and the commitment of being on the bike every day, cycling in the world for like eight months, that was the thing that went from me being the guy that was doing like 50 miles a day, at like 12 mile an hour, to the guy that was, you know, 18 months later, you know, breaking the world record and stuff like that. It just came from that consistency. And so, you know, very quickly, I was doing 100 mile days, 120 mile days, done 150 miles. Then I done my first 200 mile day, 220, 250, 270. It just kept getting more and more and more and more. And I think something that worked in my favor, something that not served me in my earlier years is that I've always been very addictive, always been very obsessive, always just had a lot of drive and determination. And so when I was younger, and especially in 2015 when I was struggling, that used to manifest in a lot of negative ways. For example, like I would go on like three and four day benders and I'd go out to the pub for like four days at a time and just like taking as much drink and drugs and stuff as I could get my hands on. That was how I used to be when I was younger. And so I thought, I don't want to live that life anymore. And then I got into cycling. That drive never really left. Like that obsessive 
energy is still with me. I'm still as addictive and as obsessive, but I've just got a more positive outlet to put it into. So when I got into cycling and started, you know, that cycle around the world, I was just, I still had that drive and that energy. I think that was why I was keep what I pushed myself and went from the guy that was doing like 50 miles a day to like 300 miles a day. So I think all those things that had not been good for me in the beginning, I eventually turned them into some of my biggest strengths. Yeah. So that, you, you mentioned there 2016 when you, you saw the Sir Chris Hoy talk. Yeah. Um, so how long was it then between that, getting on a bike for the first time and starting your first cycle around the world? It was about six months. <laughs> and, and then and then and what's even greater about that is that that would still be quite a mental story if I was training in those six months. That was six months where I was just literally trying to trying to make the cycle happen, like trying to get the sponsorship, trying to get the support, trying to build the team, etc. Whatever I needed to do. I never went I tell a lie. I went out on the bike twice. I done two cycles before I done it. Okay. I went out, cycled like 20 miles for like Livingston Airdrie and back. Yeah. And like Livingston to South Queens Ferry. And then I went and tried to cycle around the world. So that was just, I just jumped into the deep end. Like, yeah. and that so was what, just, that so was like, the way. Logistics that end of, of something like that, like undertaking, you know, as you said, that was where probably where most of your time was spent on that challenge was figuring everything out. So like, where do you even begin? Like what, well, first of all, how much miles is it to cycle around the world? And, you know, where did you start? You know, how did the, just how did the whole thing come together? I literally had no plan, no clue what I was doing. Like, as I mentioned earlier, I was just in such a dark place in my life. Like, I was just so depressed. Like, I didn't really have a clue what was going on. I was just desperate for something that would make me feel better. Yeah. I literally spent six months trying to make that cycle happen. And right between like the end of 2015 and the start of summer 2016, I was trying to get the sponsors on board. I was trying to get it all done. A couple of days before I was set to begin, I was meant to begin on the 26th of May, 2016. The day before it, I hadn't managed to get the big sponsor on board that I needed for it. Um, I'd basically I'd left my business like six months before as well to just put all my time into it. I had, I had a thousand pound in the bank, right? Just went through everything I had. A thousand pound in the bank the day before I was about to begin. And my plan was just to set off and see how far I got. <laughs> that was that was literally my plan, right? I don't know how far I would have got, but that was my plan. And I thought I might have to stop and like get a job along the way and then start. You know what I mean? I was I was yeah, okay. I was determined to find a way of making it work. Yeah. But that was my plan. Less than twenty four hours before I was about to leave, I got an email from a company saying, "Josh, we're going to sponsor you." And we're going to make, we're going to support you to do this thing. They were going to give me four hundred pound a month, yeah. which I can, I can still remember how I felt when I got that email because I thought this is like the best moment in my life. But literally a day before, I was going to just go and try and wing it anyway. So setting off, you know, I was lucky I had a bit of money coming in to actually do it. And, and the good thing about cycling in the world when I was doing it back then is that you can actually do it quite cheap. You know, it was just me, my tent, bike. Yeah. You know, just buying food for the supermarkets. You can actually do it in a really cheap budget but I, I literally just set off for scotland with that bike all loaded up with the tent all my clothes all the stuff on it and i was just i didn't even know where i was going i was just pedaling south i was just i knew go down towards england head to dover get a boat to france and then just start heading through europe like i i was just i was literally just winging it just making it up as i went every day there was no plan there was no route there was no logistics there was no team there was no 
there was really no thought into it at all. I was just desperate to feel better. And I was just peddling towards happiness, basically. I just wanted to be happier. And it actually makes me laugh talking about that kind of chapter in my life because when I think about like the things that I do now, like that world record attempt we done in Aberdeen in April, like the planning and the logistics and the team was like, if you think about that guy in 2016 on a bike on himself, camping in a tent, you know, hardly had any money, you know, just surviving each day, having to find food, water, shelter. To go from that to being up in Aberdeen last week, like a team, you know, like 20 people working on that project. Mm. You know, there was like a, a core team of like six or seven of us up there actually on the road. A lot of people behind the scenes, social media guys, PR guys, logistics. Like there was just such a big team around me. It was just, I, and I never, I never lose sight of like where I started from as well. So I always find it funny. Like if I'm, we're sitting in like a, a debrief meeting up there in the log cabin, there's like 10 of us and I'm sitting laughing at myself because I can remember what it's like to be, you know, going through the desert in Kazakhstan on my own trying to fix a puncture. And now we've got like these Formula One style like changes on the road when like things go wrong. So I know it's been, it's been some journey, but you know, it's, uh, it's not been easy to get here. Yeah. So, and how many, so that you've done the cycle, right? I know you mentioned you've done it there a few times, but the, how many times have you like attempted it? But then I think the most successful time was most recently, but then it ended in the crash. Is that right? So how how far did you get through it on that one? So, so I had six failed attempts from like 2016 to 2019. And one, one of them was like a real attempt. Like I went and done it for a year and came home. Other ones were like, I'd maybe do like a few weeks and I just, you know, I just wasn't really mentally stable at that time. So I didn't really, wasn't in the right place to go and do it. So I was always starting and stopping. But in 2019, I thought, right, let's go and get it done. And on, on that seventh attempt, I basically went across, I went across Europe in about five weeks to Istanbul, then went across Asia to Tokyo. I went right, right to Scotland all the way to Tokyo in like three or four months. Then went across Australia, then went halfway across America. It was, in about eight months, I was on track to finish it, the 18,000 miles, which you need to do to cycle around the world. And then when I was in Texas, just maybe like about 1,500 miles to finish in America. I was about halfway across America and I got hit by the car. So I don't think anybody can doubt I would have finished it in that seventh attempt. Like, you know, I went, I'd I'd done it. I'd done it basically. I was on the home, I was on the home straight as far as I was concerned. All I had to do was get across America and then about a thousand miles back in Europe to get back to Scotland. And then, yeah, I got hit by the car. So, yeah, I've no, still not been able to finish that one because that was at the end of 2019. I got home to Scotland, like, February 2020 when I got released to the hospital in Texas. And then COVID was March 2020. So I've just not been able to get back to America because it's just the travel restrictions have yeah. still been in place. So I had to kind of forget about cycling around the world for a while. And in 2020, that's why I started focusing on the record attempts because – there obviously wasn't any races or competitions or anything like that either. So I was just trying to do anything I could, any sort of challenge that I could do within the COVID restrictions as well. Yeah. So is the cycle around the world something that you want to get back to when you can? Oh, I absolutely. As soon as like they open the borders and stuff like that, I need to go and finish that because it's, it's became such a big part of my life, you know, cycling around the world. It's been the biggest goal in my life and the biggest thing in my life the last like five or six years. And I've still not finished it. So I need to go and get that finished just to just to say I've finished it, basically. So yeah. whenever I'm allowed, I'll go back to Texas and uh, we'll get that done. 
start in Texas and then finish that last stretch? I basically go back to Texas, go from Texas to New York, New York to Lisbon, Lisbon up to Paris, Paris to London, London to Edinburgh, and that's me done. Nice Finally. One. <laughs> nice one. Well, I look forward to seeing that happen. That'll be a, a big one to tick off the list, I'm sure. Uh, no, it'll be good to get that done as well. You know, I've got I've got a lot of people out in Texas now that have, you know, been following and supporting me as well because when that happened out there, there was like a lot of media coverage and there was a lot of people heard about it just because it kind of it went viral in some of the cycling groups and stuff out in Texas. So I've got a lot of new friends and people out there in Texas. So it'll be good to go back and see a lot of them. And one of the, the police officer who was handling my case and stuff out there as well, he said that I need to go back onto the Highway 36 where I was hit to ride that road again. He said they're going to give me like a police like motorcade and stuff like that to make sure I'm safe. So it should it should be a bit of fun to go back there. I'm hoping to actually try and organise maybe a bit of a group ride as well. Yeah. For a lot of us out there, just just make it a wee bit fun when I get back there. Yeah, because I noticed I noticed some of the you know the news coverage of that particular crash. Yeah. You know, there was a helicopter came and got you, and the the police officer I think was interviewing. He thought he was coming to a fatality, which yeah. must be incredible for you to hear stuff like that. Like until Axis survived it. Yeah, no, it's just I don't even really think about it that much because it is quite overwhelming to think about it. Like I, I literally was riding my bike on a highway and a car hit me from behind at 70 mile an hour. And like a few weeks later I was back on a bike. Like that it just blows my mind. Like I don't even know how I'm alive. Never mind back on a bike so soon after it. Like I should be dead, probably, at least probably paralyzed. Like, just to, to walk away from that crash almost unscathed. And I mean unscathed in the sense of had a lot of injuries at the time, like fractured skull, traumatic brain injury, seven broken ribs, fractured pelvis, spine, ankle, heel, shin, three major surgeries. Like, to go through all that and then, like, literally three or four months later, was healed for all that and just yeah. back cycling, back in the road. Six months after that, I was in the shape of my life, like way fitter than I was before the accident. And then nine months after it went and set the record for the North Coast 500. Like that was just an incredible mm. rehabilitation and comeback. And I don't even know how it was. I don't know, honestly. It's just, just crazy. Like it really is crazy. And I always, I do think about any time I'm like, See if I'm cycling over like the a motorway flyover or something like that, and I see the cars bombed in a motorway at 70 mile an hour. It does always like I think to myself, like, fuck, that's how fast those yeah. cars were when that hit me. It is yeah, it's incredible. Like, but I'm I'm still here and still going. <laughs> yeah, good. I mean, you've clearly, you know, you've you've obviously had a lot of adversity, you've had a lot of challenges, you know, in your in your cycling career and obviously before that, as you mentioned. So You've overcome a lot. How do you keep? How do you keep doing it? How do you do it? I don't know. Like, I think for me, like I'm quite an all or nothing guy. I'm quite a black and white guy. So when people say like, "How do you keep going after so many setbacks and so many failures and obstacles?" I think for me, a lot of it's just practical. Like, if I'm not doing this, what else am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't like. What's the alternative? Like people say, like, "How do you keep going?" The alternative to that is quitting, yeah. and I'm never going to quit. And also, even if I did quit, I honestly, I don't know what I would do in my life. Like, I yeah. couldn't imagine one thing. I, I would be like the worst employee ever. Like, I would be the, I'd just be terrible at almost every job in the world. And I just, I just couldn't even imagine one thing that I would be any good at doing. And I'm, 
I'm quite good at cycling and I love cycling and I've managed to do a lot of good things with it, you know, raising money for charity and inspiring other people to like to push themselves. I just think this is what I was born to do. And so I just couldn't imagine what else I would do. So Yeah. Cause you're yeah, because you're a you're a full time full time athlete now, aren't you? Yeah, no, I'm lucky as well. I'm sponsored and supported to to be full time and just put all my time and energy into this as well. So, you know, this is just what I do. Like I I, I think about that a lot as well. Like I'm so grateful to be full time to to make a living for cycling and to be supporting stuff like that as well. And I've got some amazing sponsors. I give a wee shout out to my sponsor Thomas Franks, who are my main sponsor, support me. I always think a lot about like other people who love cycling and who love running or whatever it is. Like, how many people would love to like do that as a job? Like I'm yeah. such a I'm such I'm such an amazing privileged position. So I always think about that as well. Like if you think about the amount of sponsors I've had over the years, like it's not just one. There's been so many, and there's so many people that people on my team that have given up their time and their energy. Like for me, to just quit and give up now. It's like it's a slap in the face to all those people as well. Yeah. That like the amount of people that have helped me out, like even my local bike shop, Pedal Power, and just so many people. It's like like the amount that people have put into me the last five years to help me i've not got to a level yet where i've paid all of those people back and so yeah. i need to get to that level where i can you know start writing checks to people and say thank you and i right, I'll, I'll never give up on it i'll just keep going i'll yeah. keep going until my body physically says right that's it it's done yeah until, until like i lose my legs or something like that <laughs> well whilst whilst i've got an able body i'm just always going to keep going that's yeah. just the way i see it that's the way i see it and I think with a lot of this stuff, I think the secret is just to don't quit. Yeah. It's just stay in the race. Like, just stay in the race. Because the, the day you give up and the day you quit, and I'm not, I'm talking about that as in like a, a little level and a bigger level. Like, when you're out on a ride, you, you talk about quitting. But also, I'm talking about more genuinely, like, just to say, right, I'm giving up in cycling, I'm giving up in running, whatever it is. The day you give up is the day you just lose all chance of succeeding at anything. So yeah. just just stay in the race. And that was that was kind of my strategy as well on the North Coast 500 when we done that record last year. And like the days leading up to my attempt, there were a couple other guys as well who'd made attempts and they hadn't been successful. They'd, they'd both kind of pulled out around about the halfway point, no, no far before John O'Groats. And my strategy was just like, well, I never knew. I knew I was never going to quit anyway, because I know I'm just built differently. But I remember just thinking, just get to Johnny Grotz and then just keep going. Like, just yeah. just don't quit. Just don't quit because the day you quit, you've no chance of doing it. But if you just keep going, you've always got a chance. And so, for me with my cycling, as long as I'm in the race, as long as I'm out there trying, that's enough for me. Like whether I achieve any of the big goals or not, it doesn't really matter. But as long as like at the end of my career, I can say. I left it on the table yeah. and I tried my best and I never quit because I think there's a lot of people that get to the later stages in life and they did quit early in their life and they really regret it and it just kind of lives with them forever and I just I, I couldn't live with that. Yeah, well, definitely, definitely, you've uh, not quit quite a lot. You know, there's a lot of times there that you've kept going through. I'm sure, you know, some amazing, uh, I just adversity and challenges so yeah i'm sure um we'll be seeing more success from me soon so back to the north coast 500 one then um that must have been a pretty special one for you then for a number of reasons because you know coming back from the crash you know covid meaning you couldn't go back to america you know the fact that it's scotland and it's such a iconic um route in scotland that must have been a pretty special one was it 
uh, the, the North, I get so excited anytime I talk about it. Like the North Coast 500 for me is the, at this point in my life, it, is the, it has been the biggest thing in my life. It's been the most special achievement. It's been, my, it's been my greatest memory by far. And I think that what you have to remember about me as well is that for like, for like a couple years, or maybe like at least a good year, two years, between kind of 2019 to 2020, I was telling everybody for a while, like I was going to be a world champion. I was going to be really successful. I was going to break records. And to be honest, a lot of people didn't believe me. They thought I was just this guy, this crazy guy in a bike. And, you know, and that's fair enough because when I started, I was just this crazy guy in a bike. Yeah. And I wasn't really doing that well. You know, I was doing like 50 miles a day. I wasn't very fast. And there's a lot of people doubted that I had what it takes to actually get to a high level. So the North Coast 500 was like, for me, it almost felt like my coming out party. It was like, this was my chance to show people what I'm made of and that I'm capable of being an elite high level cyclist and and breaking big records and it was quite exciting for me as well because you know the record was originally held by Mark Beaumont who's one of the greatest ultra endurance cyclists ever something that's inspired me a lot you know his 80 days cycle is probably the most inspiring thing that I've ever watched and witnessed I just took so much from that thought it was incredible and so Mark's obviously a Scottish cycling legend and then the record was held by James McCallum as well, who's a professional cyclist, one of the greatest cyclists that Scotland's ever produced, very respected within the cycling community. So these are the two guys that I was sort of up against and that held the record before me. And so to go up there and to break that record and to take that record was like, it was such an amazing moment for me personally. And I think it was a moment where a lot of people kind of were forced to sit up and go, right, wait a minute, this kid's actually got something. Like he's actually a very capable and strong cyclist and also when you add on to that as well it was just nine months after that yeah. 70 mile an hour crash in america as well which was quite incredible and so i you know it was just it was such an amazing experience it was like the it's by far the hardest thing i've ever done and the most i've ever suffered in anything but see the see like the final hour i'm like hitting the outskirts of inverness and then coming through the city Ooh, just I, even, I get goosebumps every time I think about it it was just because I think that it was so hard in the final like seven hours like by the time I got to John O'Groats I think it was around about like 24 hours 24 25 hours something like that and I remember always thinking in my mind just get to John O'Groats right because once you get to John O'Groats I know this isn't technically true it, it psychologically kind of feels like downhill all the way <laughs> like it feels it definitely flattens out like you know the west coast of Scotland is just so hilly you're going up across like the Black Nava and all that. Like you're doing like over 30,000 feet of climbing. And once you get to John O'Groats, there's a there's one big climb after John O'Groats, which is at the Berrydale Braes. After that, once you get to about Dornick, it kind of does flatten out. And I always thought in my mind, just get to that last 50 miles, get to the bit where it goes flat and then just go flat out and give it everything you've got. And as we were coming into that, that 50 miles, it was so close, it was so tight. Nobody really knew if I was going to do it or not. Like I'd, I'd been up, I'd been up for like thirty hours. I was trying to look at my my Garmin and I, was try, I couldn't really work out the maths and all that. I should have just been really simple in my mind because I knew that if I was above sixteen point four mile an hour, then I was up. But I, I couldn't work that out at the time. Yeah, so you've got you've I, gone through a lot till that point. I I remember like hitting the final point. And I was just giving it absolutely everything that I got. And honestly, see, because people were following it online with a tracker. Like, I think everybody knew how tight it was and how exciting it was. The amount of people that came out in the final 50 miles as we got close to Inverness was just incredible. Like, every motor motorway, flyby, every layby, just so many people coming out, cheering, supporting. And I think just everybody just wanted me to do it. I was yeah. like, that was, 
that was the sense that I had. There was probably only one person, in the, or maybe, do you know what, that's not true. There was a lot of people that didn't want me to do it because I do have my haters. But most people, I generally had the impression wanting me to do it. I think it was just such a great underdog story. And, you know, as I was hitting the final the final bit in Inverness, I wasn't really sure if we were going to do it or not. But I remember as we came into Inverness, I remember kind of like hitting the city centre. I thought, right, this is, I feel like we're going to do it then. I remember just looking down at my computer as I was in the city centre. And I'm still giving absolutely everything I've got at this point because it was tight. And I remember coming out in the city centre. I seen the castle for the first time since we'd left there like 30 hours earlier. And I looked down at my Garmin. It was like 31 hours 11 minutes or 31 hours 14 minutes sorry so i knew that i had sorry 31 13 it was so i knew i had 10 minutes to get to the castle because the record was 31 23 and i thought there's no way it's taking me 10 minutes to get to that castle because i can literally it's like half a mile away yeah that was the point but it just kind of hit me and i remember coming over the bridge in the city center went up like the, the side of the castle and just i couldn't believe the amount of people that came out to see me there were just like hundreds of people there yeah. they're all cheering shouting and honestly just see the passion and enthusiasm in their voices it was just oh, oh it was incredible man and so i uh, just riding into that castle and just like literally just having a break for the first yeah. time in 31 and a half hours was just so amazing because something that got overlooked as well is that on that ride, my final time was 31 hours and 19 minutes, but my riding time was 31 hours and 11 minutes. There so was you only, literally came off a bike for eight minutes? There was only eight minutes in non-moving time. And that that wasn't actually me stopping for breaks or that. That was four stops, like having to stop and put on a jacket, traffic yeah. lights. In fact, that's not true. I never stopped for any traffic lights. <laughs> but towards the end, as we're coming to Inverness, there was like one point as we're coming to Inverness, and it was like, it was the red light, and I just came straight. And I was like, I was just shouting, sorry, coming through. <laughs> like I was, I wasn't stopping for anything. It was just so tight. But no, it was just such an incredible experience. It was, uh, it was really special. So that, so thirty, so North Coast five hundred. Is five hundred nineteen miles in total? Is that right? I, I think it's five sixteen officially, but sometimes it comes in about five sixteen, five seventeen. So it's thirty-one hours, nineteen minutes. Thirty-one hours, nineteen minutes. Yeah. And how much? How much did you break the record by? Four. <laughs> That's incredible four. for that. You know, for that long <laughs> of a ride to break it by that tiny. Four, hour. four minutes and twenty-seven seconds. That's incredible. I think. I think I worked it out. I worked out recently. I was talking to somebody, but I think I broke the record by like 0.25% or something like that. Like yeah. it was so so marginal, it was unbelievable. But it, was, it is actually frustrating for me and painful for me thinking about that because it shouldn't have been as close as that. I, sh I shouldn't, it wasn't a good performance for me on the day. It was, it was all right, like I got it done. But, you know, we done, we done a test ride about a month before it. Four, four weeks before it, I'd done 516 miles, similar elevation, and I'd done that in under 30 hours. And in hindsight, we've done that far too close to the event. Yeah. You know, I didn't give enough, myself enough time to recover. And so my goal was to do it in under 30 hours, but my performance in the day wasn't good enough. I went too slow in the beginning because on the test run, I went too hard in the beginning. So I paced it horribly. At my best, I could do it in under 30 hours, but 31.19 was the one in the day. And yeah. yeah, we got it done. Yeah, and so... Again, just because I'm sure listeners will be interested um, in stuff like this. So 31 hours, 19 minutes on a bike. So you're eight minutes of stopping. I think people can kind of know what I'm getting to here. 
that must include eating on the bike, doing the toilet on the bike, drinking on the, everything is basically happening on the bike. Aye, everything happens on the bike. You know, obviously all the food you're eating on the bike, you're drinking everything on the bike and the toilet as well, obviously. <laughs> but the toilet one's funny and, and I enjoy talking about the toilet one because it's it's a question that people always have. On that, uh, see, see that eight minutes in on moving time? I'm so proud of that because it is, it is quite superhuman, that in a way. Yeah. When you think as well, when Mark Beaumont done it, he had about two and a half hours non-moving time. James McCallum was also about two and a half hours as well. So that was the kind of standard time yeah. that people, people, people taking breaks along the way because it's so hard. I literally never stopped. Like when I set off Inverness, I never stopped. The only the, the only non the non moving times made up be like tiny wee like four stops. Yeah. Like I never yeah. I never once stopped and sat down at a bench and had a wee sandwich and was like, oh, this is this is lovely. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, was, I was riding the whole time pretty much, but it is frustrating for me as well because I I reckon it cr- probably could have been maybe one or two minutes non moving time, and I tell you why, for like the first sixteen to seventeen hours. I was just doing the toilet in the normal way. Like I was stopping the bike, doing a pish, and then keeping going again. But because I was drinking so much in the bike, it got to the point I was like, I'm stopping too much. Like I'm yeah. just wasting too much time here. And I was a wee bit hesitant about doing the toilet on the bike because I'm obviously on this bike for a long time. And I thought, what if I do it? You know, I'm wearing this really tight skin suit. What if I do it and it's really uncomfortable and I start like getting all itchy down there and I've still got like 15 hours to go. I thought, I didn't want that. But I thought, I'm stopping too much and I'm wasting too much time here. So I just thought, fuck it, I'm going to try it. It was like, it just gone dark. It maybe about half 10, 11 o'clock. We were somewhere in between Alapool and Darness, or like right on the northwest coast. And I remember just doing it for the first time. And it was actually surprisingly quite good. <laughs> because it was, it was freezing, right? It was freezing cold. Like it heated me up for about a minute and then it went really cold. But I, thought, but I just felt happy because I thought, right, I can just do this the whole way around now. And literally from that point, I think maybe about 17 hours in, from that point, no far from Darnest in the northwest, from there all the way to Inverness, like 14 hours later, my feet never touched the ground once again. Yeah. Like my feet, I never stopped once. You're quite lucky in the north coast anyway. It's so remote. There's no really any traffic lights. There's no yeah. really any stop. I just went through everything. Once I got to Inverness, I never stopped for anything anyway. I think people, there was that many people out following us and stuff. Anyway, I think people, the cars knew there was something going on. It was like a special yeah. event. So, so I literally never stopped. And But it does annoy me because if, if I just done that strategy from the start in Inverness, my non-moving time would have maybe been a minute, two minutes at the most. Yeah. I, I, could, I think it was probably, I, I think I could find a way of doing it continuous and no, no stopping at all. Yeah. Just, just work out how to do the clothes changes in the bike and stuff like that. Yeah. I suppose because, you know, the others who have done like two and a half hours of stopping time, because you hear stuff about people taking like real, real, like quick power naps and stuff like that. But that was obviously something you just didn't want to entertain. You just wanted to keep going. Well, that's interesting, actually. This This is why it's so good to have a team and why it's important to have a team. Obviously, I had a full team with me, fully supported. And as we were on one of the final climbs in the Berrydale Braes on the East Coast coming down to Inverness, I was absolutely shattered. And I got to the point where I was falling asleep in the bike. You know, yeah. I've been up for 27, 28 hours, something like that. And did it get to the point it was quite dangerous, actually. I felt like I'm falling asleep here. And we were trying every trick in the book, like, you know, chewing gum, mints, yeah. mouthwash, toothpaste. So one of the most effective things as well is Haribo sweet. Like, see the Tang Fastics? Yeah. They seem to just, the fizziness just seem to wake you up for a few minutes. But then you need to keep eating them. 
coffee as well, obviously the most important one. But anyway, I felt like I was falling asleep. And I remember I was coming up the really steep hill at the Berrydale Brez. And I says to I says to India, I'm a nutritionist, I says, I'm going to have to have a five-minute power nap because I'm, I'm literally, I didn't want to stop for anything, but I'm going to have to have a five-minute yeah. power nap because I'm going to, I'm like, I'm going to crash. Like, I'm going to fall asleep on this bike and it's going to be a, an accident. And she says to me, no, nah, you need to keep going. And so she made the decision for me. Yeah. I was too emotional. I was too tired. Yeah. I beat the record by four minutes, 27 seconds. Yeah, well. So, <laughs> so if you think about that, I take that five-minute power nap Mm. that was it it was over i didn't i didn't break your record so yeah. that's these are the margins we're talking about here um this is why it's important to have a team because I, I wasn't allowed to make that decision and what was interesting about that is we get maybe half an hour up the road i kind of get through that bit we start to get into that bit but it's a wee bit flatter i think we came through brora or helmsdale one of those places and i remember thinking i seen i seen across the water i could see like the coastline in burness for the first mm. time it just perked me up yeah. Those final 50 miles, I was as awake as I've ever been. Yeah. It was weird because I was just falling asleep half an hour earlier and I just the adrenaline just hit me. And so, you know, if I took that nap, I wouldn't have broke the record. Yeah. It's like your don't quit, you know, your don't quit mentality. It's just yeah. that it's getting through those difficult moments. And it's whether you're a cyclist, whether you're a runner, you know, whatever it is that you do, there's always that urge to stop because it's really hurting, really sore. In your case, you were all our way to fall asleep but it just shows like grind it out grind through that tough moment and it's going to be easier and it well not easier but you get through it and it just it's amazing you get a, a new lease of life almost and it's just by keeping going through it uh, i think it's not getting too caught up to how you're feeling like it's even some of these it's gone really good as well you need to remember right there's going to be a bit when it's shit and another way when it's shit there's going to be a bit when it gets better but everything that we've done in the north coast we took that and applied it to the recent record attempt and basically, you know, from the get-go, I was just doing the toilet and the bike and all that as well. So my non-moving time on the one up in Aberdeen was like, I'm just, you know, doing like 18 to 20 hours a day. And it was like maybe a couple of minutes or something like that. There was only a couple of times that were a wee bit longer. And that was because there was those temporary traffic lights just after Bankery. Yeah. It wasn't for them, you know, we just, we wouldn't have been stopping. You just waste too much time. Yeah. And how, so on the, the sleep side of it then, so, you know, the, the North Coast 500 is one thing because you're wanting to do that you know, in a one hour, you know, 30 odd hours, whatever, you know, 31 hours, 19 minutes. So that's one thing. But then taking like the seven day challenge, for example. So you are getting sleep, but it's like, what, three, three hours a night, three, four hours a night? No, even that. No, even that. So how did that like impact you? I mean, I'm sure the first, first night's maybe not too bad, but can you just explain like how that sort of sleep cycle works when you're doing something like that and how it affects you? Aye, so the strategy for the seven-day record was essentially I'd wake up at 3.30, was on the bike for four, and I would ride from like four, the target was to hit 320 miles a day. So I would ride until I hit that, yeah. essentially. On, on the first day, it went really well. You know, it was like, there was no wind in the first day. So I, I, done, I was quite fast. I think it was like 18, 18.1 mile an hour for the 320 miles. So I think I was finished for like quarter to 10 or something like that. So that was like a, a quite a good day. So we were back in the log cabin for like 10 o'clock. Got my, got my, I had a masseuse who was there giving me massages every night. Got a massage in bed for like 11 or something like that. So that was quite good. So like 11 until 3. But there's not really 11 until 3 because that's in theory, you know, the adrenaline and all that as well. Yeah. I, I think I was getting, a, this quality sleep was terrible. You know, I yeah. was, was barely sleeping. And then on the Tuesday and the Wednesday, 
wasn't getting to my bed till like midnight, one o'clock, and then you're up at half three again. So you're basically no getting sleep. And I actually was surprised by, I wouldn't say it was easy because it wasn't easy, but the record attempt was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be, I thought every, every morning I woke up, I was going to be, oh my God, like I'm so yeah. tired. But it wasn't actually as bad as I thought. And I think a lot of that came from the momentum and support we had in the road as well. That was really making a big difference. But like going into like the Wednesday and Thursday, even though I'd been doing, like I think on the Thursday I was like sitting about 1,200 miles, you know, in four days, for our three and a half, four days, you know, no even like 10 hours of sleep probably. I was actually feeling pretty good. Yeah. I think that was why it was so painful to have to stop as well. That I just felt like the adrenaline and the excitement was just powering me through. And as we hit like that thousand mile to go mark on the first day, I was feeling really good, man. I was yeah. feeling so, I wasn't really feeling that tired for, for what I'd been doing, for the effort sustained. So aye, that was kind of how we were doing it. I think next time what I would do as well is that I wouldn't ride it to a mileage target. I would ride it more to an hours target. Okay. So like I, I was I was stopping a wee bit earlier sometimes just to try and get more sleep. Yeah. So like on the Tuesday and the Wednesday, I knew I had to just see if I'd done 312 miles every day, I'd have beat the record. And I knew that's all I needed to do because the previous one was 311. I wanted to do 320, obviously. But on the Tuesday and the Wednesday, you know, it was really windy and the weather was terrible. So my speed was maybe only about 16 miles an hour. So it was like, then they finished to maybe like 11, half 11. And so I stopped at 312 miles just to think, to get an extra half an hour sleep because when you're only getting three hours i thought that's going to help yeah but to be honest the quality of sleep was so bad anyway and you know you're, i sat there with my head racing on the pillow for so long next time i'm just probably just going to ride 4 a.m to midnight every single day and yeah, just okay. that's what i'm going to do and whatever the miles is whatever the miles i think that's probably better because to stop like half an hour early to get half an hour more sleep it makes sense if you're actually going to sleep but if you're no there's no point so mm. i think the next time we'll probably just ride in shifts like 4 to 12 every day yeah and that's 4 a.m. to 12 midnight. Just for 4 a.m. <laughs> to 12 midnight with no breaks. Yeah. And no, and no stopping as well. Yeah. yeah. So that was a, that's a strategy for the next one. And when are you, when are you, I know you've told me personally when you're thinking about doing it, but I'm not sure if that's still the case. Have you got a date in mind yet? Or We don't know. We were, we were kind of originally hoping for July, but then it started to look like August. It might more realistically be September now. Yeah. I think with this issue with the knees, what you need to remember as well with this sort of thing with such a big effort with such a big team these and we work in McGuinness world record as well these things aren't cheap you know they cost a lot of money and you know my sponsor thomas franks have put in a lot of money as well into this so we need to get the next one right we can't risk going up there and that happening again so we need to give ourselves as much time as possible so yeah. if we were to do it the kind of first week in september which is where i'm kenny my head's at at the moment we've got about 14 weeks from now and so that's kind of I think from from my perspective, you know, at the moment I'm doing a lot of gym work. So that's like another 14 weeks in the gym, which is going to be incredible for my body. It's another 14 weeks of the stretches that I'm doing. It's another 14 weeks of training. Another 14 weeks in a good nutrition. It's just going to be, I'm just going to be a lot better and a lot more prepared yeah. for the next, rather than rushing it. And I think that's probably what I'd rather do because we need to get this next one right. It's just because, yeah. of, the, it's because of the money involved. I can't risk this one going wrong yeah. again. If it went wrong, then it happens, but it can be because I rushed it. So Yeah, need to get yourself well, properly recovered. With something like the knees as well, I just want to make sure my knees have definitely got yeah. enough time. And so that should be plenty of time, but aye, we'll see when it, when it comes. For yeah. now, I'm just going to get back in the bike and back training again. 
Well, I want to don't don't rush it. I want you to do it. So just make that make that knee recovered and then then yeah. go again. But I know I know how desperate you'll be to uh, to get back. So just uh, before you know we start getting into some roundup questions, I know that you did the seven day world record. That was for charity for arthritis. It was an arthritis charity. Yeah. Was that right? Because you've been diagnosed with arthritis, haven't you? And is that as a result of all the injuries that you've had? I don't know, but probably. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably to do with that. Aye. So I, I got diagnosed with arthritis in February. So I wanted to do my next challenge for some sort of arthritis charity. So we managed to just raise 10 grand there for arthritis action. And that, that was one major positive with the record attempt. You know, we never got, never got the record, never achieved the goal and finished it. But we still raised 10 grand and met our fundraising goal, which is, was quite incredible. So aye, I was pleased with that. And is your, is your arthritis symptoms quite mild or do you get bothered with it? How, where do you? Nah, I, I don't know. I had, I think it's on my, it's on my pelvis and my, and my hip. And when I was coming back for the crash in January, I was having a bit of difficulty walking. I don't know if that was because of the fractures in my pubic bone and my pelvis or because of the arthritis. It's hard to really tell. But interestingly, once I got back in the bike and done like four or five weeks of training, I'm now walking perfect again and not got any issues. So, I don't know if that was because it was the fractures. Or I don't know if it was because of the arthritis. All I know is that it's definitely better for activity, whatever it was. Yeah. And the more, the more active I am and the more I've been on the bike and putting in the work, my body feels better. And I think that is a key thing with arthritis. It's not the sort of thing you just rest and don't do nothing. You're going to be better for activity and exercise and stuff like that. So it's important. Yeah, nice one. Okay. Um, so before we go on to the roundup questions, then I know that you've obviously said you want to do your your seven day um, world record and give that a crack again. But you know, longer term, what's some other goals and ambitions you've got on your cycling journey? <laughs> I'm I'm in two minds about this one at the moment because okay. I've, I've I've spent I've spent the last couple of years talking about a big goal and dream, but for now it's just one thing at a time. You know, the only thing I really care about right now is the seven-day record. That's my only obsession and focus. I just want to get the seven-day record. Once I get that, I can start talking about what else. But I just I just want to get that seven-day record done, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah, nice one. Okay, so on to the roundup questions, Josh. So I ask every guest on the podcast their top tip in three different areas, um, and I think these are all relevant to you as well. So their top tip for... Improving performance, your top tip for recovery, and your top tip for sleep. But good sleep, not like your two hours a night you're getting on your <laughs> challenge. Yeah. So first of all, your top tip for improving performance. Set yourself an outrageously big, crazy goal. I think that takes people so much further than a lot of the other stuff. Like there's stuff I could tell you like, you know, training, nutrition, like all those little tactical things. But for me, the thing that took me to a whole different level was setting myself really big, crazy, in other people's eyes, impossible goals. That, that, was, that was it for me. I think trying to do things way above where you are, that's, that's the secret for me Like when it comes to growth and progression. Because I think I've set myself loads of big goals in my mind that were way further ahead where I was physically at that time. And I think that I was living in that place mentally, but believing that that's who I was, but my body wasn't quite there yet. Yeah. And I think over time, your body just catches up. I really believe that. So yeah. 
I think setting yourself big goals, ones that you don't even know if they're actually possible, I think they take you so much further than the sort of like basic goals. Yeah, no, I love that. Absolutely love it. Definitely. Um, and what about top tip for recovery then? Top tip for recovery. I'm, t- I'm typically not being that good at that sort of thing. <laughs> okay. I'm actually getting better at it now. Like it's only been very recently. And this is one good thing about this injury process. Like it's now forced me to start doing a lot of the stuff that I was neglecting, like the stretching, the core work, the strength and conditioning in the gym. I think sleep. Yeah. Sleep's just like so important. It's like, and probably for me, sobriety, I don't drink anymore. Okay. That's, that's been a big one. Like when it comes to recovery, I think the nutrition, in fact, if I pick one, I'd go nutrition. <laughs> nutrition. Yeah. Food for me is the, the most important thing in my life. Or like nutrition generally, food and drink, what I eat and drink. I can usually depend, I can usually tell you how I'm going to feel on any given day depending on how I eat. Yeah. Like when I eat well, I generally feel all right. Yeah. And then when I don't, that's when things are not so good. Yeah. And I think that just... I don't think, see, when I got into like this stuff a few years ago, I was like so unhealthy before, like in the pub three or four nights a week, diet terrible, no training, you know, takeaways, chocolate, all this crap you can imagine. That's just a reality for a lot of people because they don't know any different. They've just always grew up like that. Most people don't even understand how unhealthy they are until they get healthy. Like see the feeling of health that comes to just eating well and good nutrition. Like you couldn't pay me to go back. Yeah. Like it's just, I even I even find it now. Like I, I still struggle with nutrition. I still struggle with food because it's always been a, an issue for me. I find now that because I'm usually so healthy, like if I was to just go and spend the night eating loads of crap, the following day I literally feel hungover. Yeah. It's gen- like a genuine hangover because I'm just, I'm so used to the opposite. Yeah. And, I, and I, my body just notices it so much. So, I think nutrition and food, it's like eating natural whole foods, like vegetables, fruit. And I actually think it's it's more important actually what you avoid, I think. Because see, when you, you avoid certain foods, it just there's only so many other foods you can eat. See, for me, just avoiding all the crap and the junk and the processed stuff, I just feel so much better. Yeah. I kind of say I follow it all the time because it's still my go-to thing when I get stressed and overwhelmed. And I, I think, think that we're, all, we're all human as well. And I think when, yeah. you, when you try to be perfect in your diet, that's when you do end up really binging. Um, yeah. But, you know, on the, on the fruit and veg thing, I've been tracking like, so recently how much fruit and veg I'm eating in a day. And on the days that I really have a lot of fruit and veg, I wake up feeling better the next day. So, yeah. you know, and I, I've, I've trended, I've noticed the trends over like a few weeks now and it's a hundred percent, when I eat plenty of fruit and veg, the next day I wake up better recovered. So, yeah. And how long have you been off the drink now for then? Two and a half years. Okay. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be three years in October. And that, that's probably my, see if you were like asking me like, what's your proudest achievement? That, that probably is my proudest achievement because it's without that, none of, it, none of the other stuff's possible. Like if I was still drinking, because I'm such an all or nothing guy, if I was still drinking, I'd be out three, four nights a week and, I wouldn't be doing any things I've done on a bike. And that was probably the hardest thing for me because, you know, like up to 2015, my entire life was dominated by alcohol. It was my whole lifestyle, all my relationships, my identity, just everything. It was just my whole life was built around going to the pub. And I just, 
to be honest, I loved it. Like I genuinely loved it. Like I was, I loved living for the weekend when I was younger. I loved going to the pub. I loved going to Ibiza. I loved going to the festivals. I just loved it. I just yeah. couldn't get enough of that life. But then I just, I just got to a point a few years ago where I just kind of, just fell out of love with it. I just, just, I just couldn't handle the hangovers anymore. It was just like affecting me so much, and I just thought. I've just kept thought I'm kind of done with this. And it took me a while to do it. It took me two or three years to finally do it. Like I had so many failed attempts at sobriety. Like I would do like six months and then start drinking again. But every time I did, I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this again. Like I just feel so bad. And I just, I'm at the point now where just, no, I know for a fact I'll never drink again. I've just, I've just came too far and I just too much to lose. And I, and I don't even, I don't even miss it now. It's, it's interesting actually, because in the two and a half years I've been sober, I've never actually considered drinking until recently. The only time I've honestly considered drinking in the two and a half years of sobriety was in the last month okay. because I really found the last month so hard. And just, I think just the failure of the record attempt and being injured and just the combination of fact, the pubs opening as well. That was like, a, that was like it was just like a weird storm brewing where I was like, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I was depressed about it. I couldn't even go on the bike. And I just thought, I just want to go to the fucking pub and just because yeah. it's see to be honest, alcohol is probably one of the only true escapes. Like it's the only thing you can go out and do, and you can just stop thinking about something. Yeah. Art seems you're just thinking about something all the time, but it's no, it's just a wee short term thing, and I would never do it. So I never done it, and I'm I'm proud I never done it, and I don't think I ever will. I've just I've came too far. See, see to go back to day one, no nah, man, not after doing two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've, I've came too far. Like see, to, see the drink last week because of that record attempt, and then wake up the morning and go fuck. I've just broke two and a half years. I'm now back at day one. I need to try and get the milestones again. No, it would be too yeah. painful. So and I, I would know I would never do it just because of that. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, well done. And uh, back to the final top tip. Your your top tip for improving sleep. <laughs> I, had, I had a funny one there but I don't think I'll say it because I'm not sure if it's appropriate yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, top tip for improving sleep um, probably trying to stay off your phone late at night yeah I'll probably tell you what I was going to say there because it is funny I'd probably <laughs> say don't don't meet a girl because I met a girl a few months ago that I've kind of been head over heels with and like the last few months my sleep's been terrible because I just sit up to like I sat up to like midnight talking to her every night and I can't help myself so yeah. that's probably but I, you know it's one of those things where you know I, I get so much from it that I'm not really that bothered at the moment especially being injured but try and avoid that yeah. try and avoid I'm sure process. that I'm sure that'll bring you joy in other parts of your life yeah so yeah no, it does it does okay and, it all, uh, all balances out so what's my genuine serious tip for sleep i think it's probably the phone thing trying to see like going to bed like an hour earlier no being on your phone i think that's definitely good yeah and try something i think something as well is try to do something light-hearted like see like reading a book or, or even watching something that's no serious something that's just a wee bit funny that just kind of decompresses you yeah like see if you're watching like fucking ted talks at half 10 at night yeah your head just going to be gone do you know what i mean so you try try, try wind down yeah cool and keep nice your phone one. away keep your phone away for the bed as well i, I do that as well now and that's better 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good tip. Leave it, leave it either, you know, away from you or in another room or something like that. It's a good tip. So, okay. And finally, where can people find you or follow you, you know, Instagram or website or things like that? I'm on social media, Josh Quigley 2026. That's like my handle. Um, Facebook, Instagram, Strava. How many people... You, the, your community are, are local as well because if there's anybody who wants to come out and support this next record attempt yeah well there's, there's cool, I, know, I know you're a local guy there's people from all over so yeah, yeah but yeah. it's definitely a good chunk from the northeast of scotland so if you're coming back here to do your challenge i'm sure there'll be people that will come out and support you yeah we're definitely coming back up there i think there's now that the restrictions are removed and i could like go abroad or go down south there, there's definitely better routes that we can yeah. pick like flatter routes and better weather than than Aberdeenshire, but I actually feel a duty now to the people up there that were supporting me. That you know the support was so good that first time, and I want to go and get that record up there because I think I think they deserve it. Yeah, well, we'll we'll definitely share when we know what the date is. We'll share it um, and let everyone know when you're when you're going to be up here. So perfect. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. It's been great to chat to you. It's thanks for being so open about your your struggles and things so yeah thanks very much josh thanks for having me cheers cheers thanks so much for listening to the latest episode of the hphm podcast we hope you enjoyed today's episode just a reminder that you can get 15 percent off at checkout on hphm.com by putting in the code hphm pod please share the latest podcast on socials at instagram we are at hbhm official and we look forward to speaking to you next time